2: Life is too short at this point for me to like spend hours coloring my hair so that I can, you know, meet someone else's beauty standard when the fact is like my hair looks great and it's totally fine. And um, maybe I don't look as young as I used to, but maybe I look better. I just have not looked back at all. I don't regret it at all.
0: y'all and welcome to Unladylike. I'm Caroline. I'm Kristen. This episode is part two of three in our series all about head hair. And today we're talking all about hair color.
1: Which, Kristen, is perfect timing. Uh, I'm actually going to get a fresh coat of red dye at the salon right after we record.
0: <laughs> okay, I'm now imagining them, like, rolling it on as if, like, painting a wall. <laughs> like a fresh Uh huh. Yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> That's how it works, right? <laughs> so, okay, what is your natural hair color, Caroline, and why red?
1: Okay, well... I think I'm drawn to red so much because it's so vibrant compared to my natural, bland, light brown with just like the tiniest little flecks of red in it. Um, And so basically, I've been trying to get away from this natural hair color forever. Actually, the first time I ever tried dyeing my hair, I used maroon. Manic Panic, which was, like, the tiniest little slice of rebellion for middle school me. Um, but years later, I actually tried, like, red, red, real red for the first time. I was like, that, that's it. Holy shit. I, I feel <laughs> so much more like myself. Whew. So what, uh, what, what is your hair color status?
0: My hair color status is uh, struggling, <laughs> I am brunette, and I have grays coming in, and I had been dyeing it at home fairly regularly, but it's in that in-between phase right now where, like, my roots are coming in, and I don't know. I've been going back and forth about what to do with my grays because growing up, like, my mom dyed her hair blonde for has dyed her hair blonde for as long as I can remember, and a number of years ago, I was having dinner with my parents, and I asked my mom whether she'd ever stop dyeing her hair and go gray. And before she could even answer, my dad interjects and says, "Oh God, no! It'll it'll wash her out." <laughs> oh Lord! <laughs> I mean, I was kind of flabbergasted at first. Like, okay, that's absurd. But fast forward to when my first gray hair started coming in around my face, like, all I could hear was my dad's voice being like, oh, you look so washed out. <laughs> and ever since then, I've pretty much started, like, regularly dying away my grays. So I guess what I'm saying is, Caroline, I blame my dad. I blame my dad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no.
1: <laughs> well, listen, there is a whole rainbow of hair colors
0: and shades for us to explore in this episode. And to help us do that, we're first talking to Jessica Berger-Gross. Jessica is a writer based in Maine, and she's all about embracing the gray. We talked to her over Zoom.
2: For me, it's been super liberating. I can't express that enough, how liberating the process has been, how any shame I ever felt about gray hair, now I can't— it's hard to to even remember that because— Having, like, full-on gray hair has been, dare I say, really empowering.
1: Then later, we're talking to Jameson Hampton, who goes by Jamie. Jamie prefers bright colors, and when I say bright, I mean, like, orange and teal. To Jamie, dyeing their hair is a way not only to feel good, but also to control how people see them.
3: I think that gender identity is the kind of thing that you have to explore to really understand it about yourself, Because it's, like, scary. When I was first, like, realizing I was trans and coming out, like, I felt anxious about it a lot. And being, like, using my hair as kind of part of that made it more comfortable for me. It's just kind of fun. Use wild colors and make bold choices in a way that feels kind of safe. It's all to
0: find out, what does our hair color say about us? First up? Let's go gray.
2: I was born with a really nice sort of auburny brown glistening in the sunlight, sort of, you know, partially created by the sun of Southern Long Island.
0: (laughs) That former Long Islander is Jessica Berger Gross. When Jessica was in her late 20s, she started noticing some stray grays creeping into her auburn browns.
2: I started hearing from stylists that It was, what's the color they say when it's, you have brown hair that's like not kind of shiny and amazing looking anymore? Like mousy or? Mousy, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Real mousy. We could do something to like make it shinier or just brighten it or, you know, so maybe the first time I was offered a glaze or, you know, and then then it's like highlights. And so it kind of went from there. Soon, Jessica was highlighting and coloring her hair every few months it didn't seem to me that I had a choice about whether or not to color my hair because I still wanted to look young and I wanted to look, you know, pretty and I wanted to look professional, even like professional for a writer. (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, I just kept doing it and spending money on it. It was not a fun process. Especially once Jessica's grays got more stubborn. It's not just, oh, every few months I'm getting highlights. It's every month I must go Get my hair colored. And I would, I live in the middle of Maine and I would drive through blizzards sometimes down to Portland (laughs) to the big city to an hour, 20 minutes each way when I probably should have been working or doing something else, sit in a chair for hours. And it didn't look that amazing, to tell you the truth. The grayer my hair became and the more resistant, the more it was like a Mitt Romney sort of brown. You've got the mousy brown, then the mitt brown. <laughs>
1: <laughs> How did you feel when you first started noticing those grays coming in?
2: Um, In the beginning, it was like I didn't really know what was happening. You know, it was so gradual for me. And then once it was, you know, real gray, resistant gray, large portion of the percentage of my hair, I felt like I was losing my youth and like I was losing, you know, any sense of, like, possibility of beauty, um, I felt really sad. And I felt that's where, like, the shame came in. And I just felt um, like, wow, I, I feel really old all of a sudden. Every month when the gray hair would come back, I would definitely feel pretty intense sense of shame about my roots. And I would be, you know, finding hats and finding headbands and finding shmatas and finding ways to cover up my roots because I really didn't want anyone to see them. I was super self-conscious about it as if I was doing something wrong by, you know, growing out this gray hair and having, because it was like gray hair was something I was hiding. So I was supposed to hide it. And so when it came out, I felt weird about it, embarrassed, ashamed, not like super consciously, but subconsciously for sure.
0: Did the self-consciousness about your grades catch you by surprise at all?
2: No, honestly, because I think I sort of grew up feeling bad about different things about my body, as so many of us do. Um, I was worried as a kid about my weight, um, that I was chubby, quote unquote. I worried about my nose because my mother, when I was 16, told me that she had had a nose job and that she'd pay for me to have one. There were so many things growing up in our culture of being a woman that I was made to that made me question different aspects of my looks. That no, it wasn't surprising to me that there would be something else that would come at me that I, you know, <laughs> have to struggle to not feel bad about.
1: Eventually, Jessica's hair became resistant to the dye. She'd spend hours driving to and from the salon, only to come back home, wash her hair, and realize that the color hadn't taken.
2: So then I, you know, maybe message my stylist and she'd be like, oh, I'm so sorry. I think we need to do it again or leave it in longer. I'll do it. You know, no extra charge. It meant, you know, like going back to Portland another day. It was cuckoo. But I would do it because I had just spent all this money and time and it hadn't worked. And then that's when it got, that's really actually, that would be when the Mitt Romney shoe polish, because she sort of changed what she was using. And she was like, we have to get more intense, you know. And she was probably an early person, I think, who really encouraged me, like, maybe you don't want to do this anymore, you know?
0: This was right after the 2016 election, and Jessica started to take on more of a fuck you kind of attitude towards her looks and what other people thought of her. She also started noticing women with eye-catching silver hair around town.
2: Yeah, so I remember it all came to a head. There's this amazing... um, country fair called Common Ground Country Fair in September every year in Maine. Um, it's makers, it's everything from people weaving to animals to like, imagine Little House on the Prairie, but like the ultimate version, you know, <laughs> today. And there were a lot of women there who had really beautiful gray hair. Like imagine kind of long gray braids down your back, you know, it looks super crunchy, gorgeous, um, organic-y, quote-unquote, looking women. That definitely spoke to me. Once winter hit, Jessica decided it
1: was time to let her greys grow out. To ease the transition, she bought two cute hats and wore them all winter long, which in Maine is pretty long. By spring, she was ready to get a pixie cut and let her greys grow naturally.
0: So what was the biggest factor in you deciding to stop dyeing your
2: hair? For someone who like, you know, won't wear high heels, doesn't wear much makeup ever, you know, like barely diffuses my hair for 30 seconds. I am vain. Like I'm as vain (laughs) as the max vain person. I definitely want to look good. I wouldn't have done it if I thought I would look worse. Occasionally, like, don't get me wrong. I will glance at myself sometimes in the mirror or a photo if it's like taken, not in the best way and be like, wow, I look like I'm 80. Um, But... (laughs) Generally speaking, I actually feel, for what it's worth, I feel prettier than I did before, for sure. And I'm saving so much money and time. And I just like the feeling of not feeling frantic about my roots coming in. Oh, and now it's fun because now I have long gray hair and I can play with it and get cool haircuts. And, you know, it's so much cheaper to get a cool haircut than get your hair colored. Um, It's just more fun. I I just feel better about myself this way.
0: Well, what does your gray hair say about you these days?
2: I think it says I have a certain level of comfort with who I am, with um, being in my body, with my age. I think there's so much when I was younger, there was so much trying in my career to be a mother because it took me a lot of effort to kind of have a child, moving around, just like in every aspect, you know, of my life. For me, there was a lot of trying, and I think that's true for a lot of us. And then now at 49, there's a level of comfort and kind of knowing myself. Like, life is too short at this point for me to, like, spend hours coloring my hair so that I can, you know, meet someone else's beauty standard when the fact is like my hair looks great and it's totally fine. And, um, you know, there's just a lot of other stuff to do. And in terms of the whole young question, I mean, the fact is I am not young. I just turned 49. So I'm definitely not young. I'm far from young and that should be okay. And great. And I'm grateful to be alive. And I am so much better inside in my head than I was 10 years ago.
0: So Jessica, before we let you go, I've got to share that I I am going gray, you know. <laughs> that is the truth. And I'm I'm really curious to hear like when your gray hairs started happening, like what was the pattern? Like if I don't dye my hair, my grays start like on the sideburns and kind of around my crown. So it just sort of surrounds my face. And, and to me, it's a very unflattering pattern. Um, so I, I'm i wondering like what were the gray patterns that were coming in
2: for you? Root line, super root line. It kind of reminded me of, I was like a drama, you know, theater kid growing up. And when we look old for a part and they put like the gray in your hair. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) You'd still have it at the root, like after the show, it was like that. So just like hardcore gray roots. Um, By the way, what you're saying tells me that if you do decide to do this, it will probably look really nice. Um, Really? Yes. Because the thing that's amazing about when you let it come in, nature is giving you highlights for free.
0: (laughs) Okay, Jessica, you're blowing my mind right now. I'd never even considered this.
1: Can I just break in and say that Kristen Conger's gray hair looks amazing because it is coming in in, like, very specific places, like, at the sideburns? Um, I just, as an outsider, (laughs) I just want to say that it looks good.
0: Okay, now you're blowing my mind, Caroline.
2: (laughs) No, you will look so good if you do this.
0: Please do this. This is just, I had no idea this interview was really going to change a lot for me
2: you can totally do it because you're going to feel you're going to have this confidence. I mean, hello, you're the host of the Unladylike podcast. <laughs> oh, I love this. Um, what be more on brand for you? I mean, it's you, true. You, this is like you're, you have to do this almost. I mean, I would never tell anyone they had to do this, but it's almost like you do have to. And at least, you know, they report back.
1: All right, Kristen, I am going to be expecting that report now.
0: Oh, God, do I have a deadline? (laughs) No, take your time. Okay, (laughs) Okay, all right. I'll I'll get that to you then. I'll get that to you. All right, well, y'all, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we get to the bottom of how women were taught to hate their grays, and we play a colorful game. Don't wash away.
1: We're back. So how did we get here? As in, how did women dyeing away their greys become such a given?
0: Well, the fact is, grey hair has never had a great reputation. Like, humans have been shading their hair since ancient history with, like, henna and other natural dyes. But the expectation that women should hide away their greys really took off in the early 1900s when chemical hair dyes arrived on the scene.
1: Even though it was relatively taboo at first. Like back in the 1930s and 40s, for instance, some salons actually offered private entrances and exits just so women getting their color done could slip in and out unnoticed.
0: Oh, my God, almost like celebrities. (laughs) And then, though, with the rise of at-home hair dyes, women were urged to cover up their greys in the privacy of their own homes. Just listen to this Clairol ad from
3: 1957. Does she or doesn't she? Does she or doesn't she?
2: Color her hair? Well, that's her own affair, really. But this I will say. With Miss Clairol, the color looks so natural— Only your hairdresser knows for sure. We hairdressers see the most wonderful changes take place. Hair like this, for instance. Dull, streaked with gray. Even with this perfect makeup, she looks faded, unattractive. Now see her after Miss Clarol. In minutes, she looks years younger. Her hair sparkles with radiant color. The gray is hidden,
3: and the hair itself is so silky, so ladylike.
2: Does she?
0: Or doesn't she?
3: Well, Caroline...
0: Does she or doesn't she? (laughs) We may never know. (laughs) Oh, so ladylike. (laughs) In the late 1960s, Clairol kicked the gray shaming into high gear to sell their new line of gray coverage hair dye called Loving Care. My gray hair makes me feel so
2: old. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna wash that gray right out of my hair. I'm gonna wash that gray right out of my hair.
0: Loving Care Color Lotion from Clairol washes away your gray and washes in your own natural color. Loving Care is
2: different. It's gentle. It has no peroxide or ammonia.
3: So I wash that gray
0: right out of my hair. Loving Care was wildly successful and wildly manipulative, so the advertising whiz who came up with that campaign and that does-she-or-doesn't-she ad was actually a woman named Shirley Polikoff. and her autobiography, Shirley describes her strategy to get as many graying women as possible to buy Clarol. She wrote, This could only be accomplished by reawakening whatever dissatisfactions they may have had when they first spotted the gray. Lord. That is nefarious as fuck.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, okay, so in other words, Clairol and Shirley needed to teach all women to hate their greys. So ads would say stuff like, Ladies, how long has it been since your husband brought you flowers? Perhaps it's been a very long time ever since you've gone grey, you
0: old hag. Yeah, yeah. The subtext was, Gray equals unattractive and worthless, and you will turn into a pile of dust if you don't <laughs> dye your hair, stat. <laughs> but people project all sorts of assumptions onto non-gray natural hair colors, too, especially Women's hair color.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, research on hair color perceptions shows just how much we tend to buy into all the usual hair stereotypes, like the notion that brunettes are the smartest, blondes are agreeable, and redheads are temperamental. There was one study on hair color stereotyping in women's job interviews that found that brunette candidates were offered significantly higher salaries than blonde and redhead
0: applicants. Hmm. There's also a whole bunch of study findings around how, like, cishet men find blondes more attractive, leave them larger tips, and are likelier to pick them up while hitchhiking. Huh. Yeah. A lot of a lot of scientific research devoted to answering the question of, do blondes really have more fun? I shit you not. <laughs> well, apparently they have more hitchhiking. And more tips, so I don't know. Yeah, I don't know, actually, if that does sound all that more fun. But Caroline, I do have something fun for you. Oh, oh. Are you ready to play a game that I'm calling... Questions I'm dying to ask Caroline <laughs> about hair colors. <laughs> Get it? Dying? Boy, okay. am I. Since I know you love digging way back in history, under the Roman Empire, sex workers were required to keep their hair what color? Blonde? Blonde? Do you know why? Woo-hoo.
1: Hmm. No, actually, I don't. I was trying to come up with a, like a quirky reason, but I, 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 I've got
0: nothing. The pressure's too great. Because the Romans knew blondes have more fun too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, actually, the the answer is much darker. So, yeah. um, It was actually because of when the Roman Empire expanded northward, where blonde hair is more common, blonde women became exoticized, and they were often forced into sexual slavery by the conquering Romans. Oh, shit. Question two. (laughs) All right. So, in 1910. What company was renamed L'Oreal, as in today's beauty behemoth? Was it A, the French harmless hair dye company, B, the, look, this hair dye is real company, or C, (laughs) what's French for, I swear, this hair dye won't kill you, company (laughs) LLC? (laughs) The the LLC is critical. Um, A... Yes, you are correct. The French (laughs) Harmless Hair Dye Company was the original name of L'Oreal. And it's all because its founder and chemist, this guy Eugene, was trying to get ahead of customer concerns about side effects. (laughs) Because a lot of the early hair dyes were pretty toxic. And for instance, Caroline... When Hollywood blonde starlet Jean Harlow died pretty young in 1937, some people mistakenly assumed that it was her years of hair bleaching that were to blame.
1: I, it's funny with that name; it's like, methinks
0: mm, the chemist doth protest too much. <laughs> yeah, that's. I guess he's probably like, you know what? Let's just go with L'Oreal. Let's just go with L'Oreal and hope that nobody, <laughs> uh, nobody notices. <laughs> Okay, number three might be my favorite. All right. A 1914 fashion column in the Pittsburgh Press advised readers who are, quote, simply dying, that's D Y E, dying <laughs> to be fashionable, advised them to dye their hair what color? What year? 1914.
1: Huh, to be more fashionable? Mm hmm.
0: Uh. Oh, like an auburn color. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you're wrong. No, the answer oh. is pink. Oh, whoa, whoa, yeah, I yeah. Was so, so I was not even in the ballpark. So the full quote was: If you're simply dying to be fashionable, then choose a bright shade of cerise. For pink hair is the pink of fashionable perfection. <sighs>
1: Well, I love that history because, you know, like one of the hair color stats around the pandemic is that so many people were dyeing their hair pink at the start of isolation that it like actually started to be referred to as pandemic pink. So (laughs) I
0: just I had no idea there was a trendy history there. Caroline, pandemic pink is exactly the reason why I included this question in our game. Love it. Okay, final question. Get ready to rage. Fill in the blank. In 1967, Time magazine declared, changing hair color is almost as enduring a female experience as what? Okay, you said get ready to rage, so it's as enduring a female
1: experience as, like, PMS? Mm. In the ballpark, pregnancy. (laughs) <laughs> oh, yeah, that was going to be my follow
0: up one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and I guess <laughs> rage might have been too strong a, a word, but um, their proof for this uh, was quote, surveys show that the average woman thinks about it for nine months before she decides to change Ugh. her shade for the first time. Which, like, what? How does that? <laughs> I don't know that those two things, that logic tracks, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, how can we just work in an insult to women somehow? But also that Time Magazine article is a testament to Shirley Polykoff. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah for sure. old oh, sure. For Sheryl. For sure. <laughs> and when I'm saying for sure, then it means it's time to take a quick break. <laughs> <laughs> When we come back,
1: Jamie Hampton shares an intriguing theory on why non-binary folks have excellent hair. Stick around.
0: We're back. The first time Jamie Hampton dyed their hair, they were in sixth grade.
3: I had been asking my mom for a couple of years. At that point, I wanted to dye my hair purple. When I was a kid, I was like very attached to the concept of purple specifically. And she said, no, mm -mm, we're not doing that. And then one day I, I came to her and I said, I want to dye my hair red because I want to look like Dana Scully. And, she, <laughs> and she said, okay, she was so relieved that I wasn't asking to die at purple anymore that she said, okay.
1: Okay. So why Dana Scully in particular?
3: I was just, I was very into the X-Files when I was a kid. I ran like an X-Files fan website on like Geo Cities. Uh, yes. <laughs> and I just thought that yeah. Dana Scully was like so powerful and beautiful and I wanted to be like her.
1: Once they got to college, Jamie started experimenting with all kinds of fun colors and styles, like short, spiky
0: updos, shaved undercuts, or unexpected colors like teal blue. And around 2014, when Jamie came out as trans, they started thinking more about what other folks are reading into their bold hair color choices.
3: I was feeling preoccupied with how having colored hair might cause people to perceive me and my gender, um, because it doesn't necessarily make sense to me logically that like having a bright color of hair is like a gendered female thing, but people kind of associate it that way, I think. And so I wasn't ready to not be doing that to my hair because it felt like such a part of me. Um, and it was like empowering in a lot of ways, but I had been doing a lot of, like, light blues and purples and pinks. And I decided that, like, all of those colors made people perceive me more feminine than I wanted. And so right after I came out as trans, I went, like, bright orange for, like, a while. And I haven't, again, I liked it. I haven't again since then. But, like, I definitely would say I associate the bright orange with, like, the very early stages of, like, my transition.
1: So we actually found you through an essay you wrote for InStyle magazine a few years ago. It was called Hair That Comes Out For You. In it, you write, Hi, my name is Jameson, and I'm non-binary. If you don't know what that means, it means I have great hair. So can you explain what that all means?
3: I guess it's just a trend I've noticed. Uh, I know a lot of non-binary people, and I think we all have really great hair but I guess I do have a theory as to why that is other than just like an observation about the world. And I think that doing unusual things with your hair, like coloring it or signature haircuts and things like this can be a really empowering way of like exerting control over not just the way you look, but the way that other people perceive you. And so as a non-binary person, I feel I have, I stress about how other people perceive me to some extent. Um, You know, I can't control if people want to perceive me as, like, a woman, even though I'm not a woman. But I can control that, like, the first thing that their brain is going to attach to when they look at me is, like, this wild thing that I've done with my hair. And to me, that feels powerful. And it's an easy thing to do, and it's a temporary thing to do. So that's also powerful because you can change your mind in a way that you can't with other, some other things about your appearance.
0: When did you first start noticing or really thinking about queer hair expression?
3: The thing that put the wheels turning on it was like the more queer folks that I spent time with and particularly the more like trans and non-binary folks that I spent a lot of time with, I would notice that often a whole group of us would have different colored hair and all of these things and it was at a time when in my life when i was feeling like when i was in a group of people i often stuck out and there weren't other people that like looked like me and so to be in a group of other queer people it was this moment of like oh i'm in this group of people and i don't stick out like these people look like me and I think that's when I started realizing, like, the connection between hair and queerness.
1: And in what ways do you think, how is hair color a queer signifier? And, and when you do spot somebody out, like, with, uh, like, crazy colored hair, fun colored hair, like, do you also, like, recognize each other?
3: I think I'm pretty good at recognizing like other queer folks when I see them on the street or whatever and I do feel feel a kinship with them and I don't I couldn't explain to you exactly like what it is about someone that I saw that made me feel that way like it's a little bit less tangible than that but I do think that the hair is often part of it and I think that it's partially like oh maybe queer folks have a tendency to do these kind of things with their hair. But I do think to some extent, there's also like a purposeful, like when I do my hair, I want people to read me as queer on the street. I want other queer folks at least to be able to read me as queer on the street. Like, hey, I'm here and I'm like you in this way, which is something that queer people have been doing for all of history um, with different kinds of signifiers. In the Renaissance period, queer folks would wear um, like a dark blue feather, in their hat and that was meant to be like a queer signifier and then in the like more Victorian era the green carnation became like a secret signal between queer people and that was because Oscar Wilde popularized it i feel drawn to the idea of being able to signal people in that way partially because you know i've met cool people in that way and partially because it kind of feels like part of this more Ancient history of like queer folks throughout history and I really like that.
1: Um I just wanna circle back to the very beginning and just just reaffirm that Dana Scully is an excellent uh hair color role model.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I can't be the only oh, one. People are gonna listen it. to this and be like, oh yeah, I also dyed my hair red <laughs> because of Dana Scully. I feel so seam. <laughs> I think you're right.
0: <laughs> you can find Jessica on Twitter at jburgergross or Jessicabergergross dot com, and Jamie is over at jamiebash dot com, and that's Jamie J A M E Y.
1: Y'all can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at unladylike media. You can also support Kristen and me by joining our Patreon. You'll get weekly ad-free bonus episodes like our recent breakdown of the New Yorker investigation into Britney Spears' conservatorship. Plus, you know, y'all will get our undying love. Just go to
0: patreon.com slash media. Nora Ritchie is a senior producer of Unladylike. Michelle O'Brien is our associate producer. Gianna Palmer is our story editor. Shruthi Marate transcribes our tape. Our music is by Flamingo Shadow, Amit May Cohen, and Sarah Tudson. Mixing is by Andy Christens. Sound design and additional music is by Casey Holford and Andy Christens. Executive producers are Peter Clowney, Daisy Rosario, and Unladylike Media.
1: This podcast was created by your hosts, Caroline Irvin.
2: And Kristen Conger of Unladylike Media. Next week... It was just so crazy, so sad. Um, I would wake up every morning and hope that this was it, that my hair was gonna stop falling. And then I would get up and i it would just be immediately falling. And all day long, I would feel it on my arms while I was driving, while I was working, just this nonstop reminder that it was happening. And they tell you, you know, try not to get too stressed. Stress can make it worse. <laughs> And it's just like okay, <laughs> I'll try that.
0: <laughs> the old, the old just relax treatment. Yeah, yeah, always, always works.
2: Works swimmingly.
0: <laughs> it is our final installment of our head hair series, and we're talking with blogger Supriya Surrender about her experience with alopecia areata. We'll also meet hair loss hairstylist Dorin Azerod. Y'all
1: do not want to miss this entire fantastic hair series.
0: Make sure you're subscribed
1: to Unladylike. Find us in Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to
0: listen. And remember, got a problem? Get Unladylike. Does she or doesn't she? (laughs) Oh my God.
1: That's like an ad crying out for a Kristen Conger redo if I've ever heard one
0: we hairdressers see the most wonderful changes (laughs) take place okay
2: Stitcher